All right, Zig coming into the top of the interview. Today on the podcast, we have punk rock legend Bill Stevenson, drummer for The Descendants, Black Flag, Only Crime, owner and operator of The Blasting Room. All right, a truly epic guest. Um, now, before this interview, I got fairly caffeinated, or during this interview, I had um, my first cup of bonus brew, which is 10 scoops of instant coffee and a little bit of water, and... Uh, I had this weird period of isolation where I really wasn't talking to anybody. Um, I think everyone's had that with uh, this pandemic. And the only person I talked to was Bill Stevenson. So I was a little a little squirrely, and um, uh, you can maybe hear some of the caffeinatedness. Um, but anyway, let's get the Bill. Before we get the Bill, this podcast is mixed um, by Studio 44 CLE, Studio 44 CLE, if you have any audio, video, streaming needs, make sure you go to Studio 44 CLE, they've been mixing all our episodes, making them sound great, um, ideally this one in particular, there was some new stuff tried, anywho, Bill Stevenson, cool, cool, well thank you so much for taking time to do this, this is super exciting for me, um, talk to a hero, um, Oh it, yeah, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, glad you made some time for me. Yeah, it seems like a during COVID, I've been doing a awful lot of these um, these uh, Zoom or Skype uh, podcasts. Yeah, that's awesome. I've, I've probably done. Yeah, I've, I, it seems like I'm doing one almost every day. That's awesome. <laughs> Was it, like it's it's so hard because like with how everything is, what do you do? Like you can't go out and play, and even though like with what you're doing now, it seems like that's more of a already a certain picked thing. You know, what I mean, you guys go out for certain gigs, but you have a lot of different outfits. Um, so you can't do that, and not to me, I don't imagine, I can't imagine a lot of people are coming in to record. Oh, um. Yeah, the studio has still has still been really busy. It, uh, That's awesome. For for me, to be honest, for me, not not much has changed, other than the singular huge thing, which is that I don't have any shows. Yeah. Other than that, things are pretty much similar for me because. Uh, to be blunt, I, I'm not a very social being. Yeah, I'm. I'm not antisocial. I just, uh, I just don't like going to bars and going to restaurants. I, I'm just. I don't have much interest in that. I feel that. Was it you? A uh, you're a sober guy, right? No, I'm. I'm a. I'm just a guy. I. <laughs> well I, I mean, I don't. I don't do drinking or drugs uh, yeah. to, any, to any kind of excesses. I don't do drugs at all. Yeah. Uh, but I do drink pretty, pretty, pretty damn moderately. Okay. I just, uh, I enjoy a, I enjoy a drink in the, in the evening when I'm all done with my work. But I've never, um, you know, really been into it, you know, heavy yeah. partying and all that. Well, I imagine running a running through the punk scene like that, like it would be either you do do that path or you avoid it. And it seems like has it always been that way, or is that? Yeah, when I was young, I kind of 
was more on the avoid it, stay away from it, make fun of people that drink that when gotcha. I was younger. Yeah, yeah. But in my mid 20s, I, I found a, a, a liking for just moderate drinking, you know, and then that's kind of where I've been the whole time. But it was, yeah, it was pretty rampant with drugs. With drugs, I never, you know, to to be to be really honest, I think the reason I stayed away from all of it is because I have uh, compulsive tendencies. That like, let's say, let's say I did try cocaine or something. I mean, if my compulsions toward overeating or drinking too much coffee or being a workaholic, if those same compulsions manifested themselves while I was taking some kind of narcotic, I would probably kill myself within a year from you know, from just doing too many drugs. So I, I just, I recognize it as something I just always have, should stay away from. Yeah. Well, and knowing yourself, like that's a huge thing. Cause I, I don't know, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I've kind of fallen into that thing. Like, it's just not for me. And like, I, everyone's like, well, well, you have a problem. What'd you do? And I realized I'm, now I'm asking the same thing. Cause like, I've never like, I'm like, yeah, it's just not my thing. I don't know. And like, I kind of have that same compulsive thing. Like if I'm working on something, it's like, this is it. I'm only going to do this. I'm going to figure this out. I'll get back to you in a week when I know how to play this lick or whatever. And like, so if that's the thing with something I enjoy, if it's something my body thinks it needs, I could, I relate to that, that compulsion. Was it a, so in honor of the, of this, of this chat, I've made my first, uh, bonus brew, my cup of mud, 10 scoops. Uh, and this is pretty gnarly, man. I don't know how you handle it. Oh, funny. Yeah. Uh, well, so at the time, this was like 1980, 81, um, espresso or cappuccino or any of that, it wasn't really readily available. If you wanted that, you had to go into, you know, certain, certain Italian restaurants would have an espresso machine. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't some. So when I when I created the bonus cup, I really I thought I was inventing espresso. I mean, I didn't know I didn't know there was such a thing as espresso. I just knew that my two fishing partners, my commercial fishing partners who would fish with me at night and then after going to school in the daytime that they were taking amphetamine Jeez. and or and or crystal meth and or coke damn and, and I didn't want to again I just didn't think yeah. I should get into that so I stayed away from it but I had to stay up all night with them and so the coffee was my sort of compromise but but then to look at that and to say that that wasn't total just caffeine addiction it would be a lie yeah i guess if you're gonna have an addiction it'd be caffeine might be a little more better than methamphetamines and coke yeah but so i thought i had invented i was i mean i was a dumb naive kid i grew up in the suburbs and at the beach in la and i didn't know anything so I, i thought i had invented this new thing but then you know a few not you know, several years later, I realized that you can get espresso and cappuccino and all that. And then, of course, nowadays there's espresso on every street corner, you know. Yeah. Did you go back to it? Do you stick to the bonus brew, the bonus cup, or do you do you partake <laughs> nope. in what's readily available? 
No, well, I have an espresso machine in my house here. It just makes wonderful coffee. Uh, but um, I'll do bonus cups if it's if I'm somewhere where I just can't get a decent cup of coffee or enough yeah. of it. I'll just I'll just take a a whole you know a whole little jar of instant coffee and just dump it into a cup with water. But those are that would I do them like in desperate times. Yeah, it was kind of funny. I ha- I did that one for Alternative Press. That was the vi- yeah the video uh, yeah. Yeah, and that was the first one I had had in a long time, and I that dude, I got so much work done that day. <laughs> well, that was thick. I thought like I followed the steps to make one for today, and it's not the same. It's not the same consistency. So I don't know what I did wrong, but even like well, the, you said ten. You said did ten scoops. Ten of, of teaspoon scoops of instant of coffee. Folgers, yep. And then water and yep. and milk and sugar. I put milk and sugar in it, but I can't see it. It's like too well, it, dark. Well, it's so really, if the more, the more, the mud, how muddy it is, just depends on how much water you put in. Okay, I put. I don't think I put that much, <laughs> but I'm all right with it being more liquid. <laughs> yeah, you need it. You need it just just on the liquid side of muddy, because otherwise, how do you drink it? Exactly. Then you're eating it. <laughs> then you're eating it. Yeah. Do you ever mess around with like the cold brew stuff? And like the, the the nitro cold brew, have you ever dived into that? Yeah, this is interesting. Okay, I I have had cold brew coffee, and I have several really close friends that swear by it. Yeah, and they say that it's got a million times more caffeine and all this stuff. But I I don't I don't exactly know what is going on, but I guess for me, there's a heavy like placebo effect or psychology effect. With the hot, hot cup of coffee, you get a little sweaty while you're drinking it, and it's like it heats you up. It makes you hot, and for some reason, I, without the heat on the coffee, Hmm. it it just doesn't seem to have the same effect on me. But I'm I'm of course completely willing to admit the fact that that obviously smells of some sort of placebo effect. Yeah. But, but I mean, I'm just telling you how it works for me, which is that I don't get, I don't get a lot out of the cold brew. I I like a hot cup of coffee. Interesting. And in the summer, in the summer, I'll drink iced coffee Yeah. and it's the same way. It just doesn't, it doesn't make me feel the same way. I've talked to, you know, and I, I mean, the only, I've talked to like my guys too. I think they all like. Carl and Stefan and Milo and I, we've talked about, and I think they're all kind of the same way for, if to, to, for optimal thing. Like before we have a show and stuff, it's gotta be a hot cup of coffee. Interesting. It's, I guess it makes sense because there's like a thing with the smell with cold brew. You don't really smell it. That has to activate something in your brain. That's like go time for. Yeah. I honestly, I honestly don't know how, I realize that, you know, what I'm saying is kind of bullshit science, but that's just how it is for me. I don't know. You know a scientist. <laughs> you, can't, you got first-hand credit. <laughs> I know I know a scientist. I know a scientist. <laughs> but, like, um, it makes sense. I don't know. Cold brew for me, like for singing, it doesn't – I get badass at reflex with, like, too much hot coffee. So cold brew works for me in that sense. And like, oh, 
so it, oh the hot coffee gives you acid reflux oh. yeah yeah like it, it makes me really phlegmy and stuff and like for singing not ideal well that, when you say phlegmy do you put cream in your coffee yeah sometimes most because oh, i mean i mean the bonus cup's different because it tastes so horrible. You have to dress it up in cream and sugar. Yeah. But I mean, for me, I always drink my coffee black, always. Interesting. That's also supposed yeah. to be more acidic, too. I don't know. Yeah, I like it. I like <laughs> that. I got, I mean, I have a good coffee situation. I have that descendants, that descendants bonus brew that we, that, that we have here, made here in town at, from Jackie's Java. And, okay. uh, the She's, descendant bonus brew, and then I run that into my espresso maker that Milo bought for me about four years ago. He, and I, yeah, I couldn't, I could not be happier. Like when I have to go to Starbucks or some shit, it's always a letdown. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about their coffee that doesn't hit as hard as like a smaller like mom pop shop or like a small cafe that's got the real beans. Their drip coffee, their drip coffee just tastes horrible. To yeah. Me. They put is it the one where they put it in that weird machine and it pushes it down and it comes up like a no weird no coffee I mean burger? just they're normal just normal brewed coffee. Not, oh, I see it what you're just saying. Yeah, yeah. Tastes crappy. It, yeah, it's pretty burnt. I don't know. I usually go for the cold brew when I go with that, so I don't really taste it. But more than often, I'm trying to like craft my own. I'll have to try the the Descendants brew. So how'd that come about? How'd you guys uh, make your own brew with Jackie? Oh, cause. Uh, we just wanted, we wanted to, um, to have our own coffee and, <laughs> and we were perfect. We, uh, and yeah, I, I, Jackie just, I don't know how we found her, but she, um, she kicks ass. It makes it, I don't know. As far not like not too many bands come up with merch that really matches. I mean, they do to some degree with a shirt, but, uh, <laughs> beans from the descendants is perfect. <laughs> Yeah, they're so good though. They're, I mean, they're what, they're what we all have. I mean, the guys order it from Jackie. The guys that don't still live here, you know, that live yeah. wherever they live. Like Milo, he orders like, fuck, he orders like twenty pounds of it every couple, every month or so from Jackie. Damn, that's a lot to go through, man. <laughs> Not surprising from you guys, though. Um, so kind of um, the shift of gear. Oh, no. I had another thought, another thought about that. This like, is uh, a funny interview. We've, all we've done is talk about drinking drugs and coffee. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, this the exact conversation I want to have with Bill is about coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I get the coffee part totally, but it's weird how we started off. <laughs> What's well, I I've been so ever since I sent that email I've been going on the deep dive of of your career and I just found that fascinating that for as driven as you are and for as like all these projects you've been in and how you kind of forefront it from behind the band like the drive that take the the mental space it takes to be in that to drive that type of boat to drive that ship is it's non-stop you're handling all the press you're handling booking the gigs you're calling the venue you're putting the bill together you're writing the music you're recording the music like it makes sense that you would be over caffeinated underslept and ray the rock like <laughs> there's no way you would be able to like fuck around with other things and have the same type of output and drive that you do 
Which makes, <laughs> I was going to say, 10, bre- 10 cups of espresso per gig. I read that somewhere too. Is that just the norm or is that like a special occasion for a crazy type of gig? Uh, that's kind of what it's come to. Uh, maybe when I was younger, I could get by on less, but um, so, okay, I'm, I'm 57 and uh, one day you'll be 57 and then, you know, you'll be trying to do things that you started doing and kind of set the mold or template for doing when you literally were a teenager and then now to be trying to do that same thing activity on the drums at 57 that's i really i really do have to be wired out of my mind or i simply can't manage some of the drum parts well it makes sense because some of them are bonkers (laughs) Just even the it's, tempo of some of the uh, some of the old Black Flag tunes. Not well. I mean, you're doing that with Flag. Like that's got to be a trip to kind of go back into that mental space of when you were a teenager. Yeah. So I I, I usually do drink a, a lot of espresso. My 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 it, on when we're on the road. What I do is after sound check. So at about yeah. five p.m. About five p.m. <laughs> yeah. I I um. I go, I go wherever is near that, and I have a little thermos. It's like, um, it holds, uh, I guess it holds maybe fourteen ounces. Yeah. Oh boy. And I just, I just go to let's say that, let's say the only thing near is a Starbucks or whatever there is, whatever, and I just have them fill that thermos with espresso, and then I seal it, and then I go. After sound check, I always take a nap. I've been doing it since I was 18 years old. Hmm. I take a nap. And then when I wake up, I wake up 90 minutes before we play. So say I wake up at like, let's just say I wake up at 9 p.m. Yeah. And then I drink that whole thermos full of espresso. And um, then away we go with the old right hand. (laughs) All that business, you know. Yeah, but the guy, the people can't. They want it. They want yeah. to see. They want to hear that from us. You know, you got no. It's so. definitely. It's it's interesting that um you crash before the gig because I, I just talked to I talked to Mike Watt and like he does that before each show. He'll like sleep in the van before the gig. It's, yeah, he, we've been doing that forever. He, he yeah he used to do that on tour too. I remember. But also, you know who does it? I found out recently because is Clem Burke from Blondie. No way. I got, I had, yeah, I somehow ended up in a, I don't remember how I got in that conversation, but, but it's like, yeah, he takes a nap after sound check. He's been doing it the whole time, you know, all the whole Blondie career. And now when people give me shit for doing it, like, what's up old man? Well, first of all, I've been doing it since I was 18. I've been taking a nap after sound checks and I was, I was 18 and plus, I say, well, Clem Burke does it. If it's good enough for Clem Burke, it's good enough for me. Boy, he's a sense. monster yeah, live. Yeah, he's yeah. So good live. He is. I mean, he just destroy, just destroys his drums. So good. And th- that power nap before the gig is why it happens. So that's why. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that the power nap more is just double security to make for sure. sure that it. To make sure that it can happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because nowadays, you know, Deborah's got that plexiglass between her and Clem because yeah. he's 
I mean, he's still playing full on ferocious, you know, style, like punk rock. And so they, she's got that she plexiglass puts, up. Puts a barrier behind him. Well, that makes sense. That's yeah. a good compromise. You can do your thing and we can still make it work. Yeah. Well, she croons, you know, she sings softly and beautifully. So yeah. it's, it's hard to find your pitch when all those cymbals are going crash, crash, smash. For sure. How do you, like, I don't like even like with singing harmonies or any drummer that sings and plays like to even find a sense of pitch like how you're saying when you're surrounded by that it's got to be a a monster to try to do and really hard to pull off i've never had much luck trying to play and sing yeah just nah it's too difficult if i play if i was a different sort of a drummer like if i played kind of let's kind of stock simple beats you know yeah pat boone debbie boone pat boone debbie boone. you know those kind of simple <laughs> yeah. beats like that then i think i could sing over them but the way i the way i play i play in circles all the phrases are circles and lots of bobbing and weaving and lots of kind of little latin interjections or yeah. little tiny latin things or little tiny afro-cuban little moments and I can't, I don't know, I can't, I can't sing over that. It's too much for my feeble brain. Well, even just playing and singing at times is too much. That's why most singer-songwriters are chord, chord strummers. It makes sense. When you say, um, uh, circle, thinking of phrases in circles, what do you mean? I mean, there's a, a whole school of drummers out yeah. there that just play like they keep time. You know, yeah. like I said, kick, snare, kick, snare. Oh, or like kick, I see. Kick, snare, kick, kick, snare. Like Pat yeah. Boone, Debbie Boone. Yeah. That, there's, I mean, 90% of the drummers out there, that's what they do. They keep time. But I don't really do that. I kind of, the way I play drums, it's more like surfing kind of. It's got a like ebb and flow to it. It's not, it's not, I don't just keep a beat. So think okay, like it's writing the phrase of the tune, which makes sense with like Descendants or Black Flag songs, where it's like doo, 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 like following the phrase like that. Yeah, that that's that's kind of what you're saying is like kind of a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. Is it like okay? Because I like just my drumming might be as might be more sensitive even to like the vocal phrasing or something as okay. opposed to just okay as opposed to just. You know, one, two, three, four, yeah, yeah. one, two, or one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, whatever it is. I, I just don't, I don't do much of that. You know, I don't do much of that. So it's almost almost Keith Moon esque with how he would follow vocal phrasings. Well, like, I like the way I like the way um, Keith Moon too. But for me, who really brings that point home would be Mitch Mitchell. Okay, yeah, even even cooler. Or Mitch Mitchell or, or Bill Ward from Black Sabbath yeah. or, or, or Elvin Jones. Um, they're just kind of like, they're just kind of doing their own little thing, sort of. With a, with the Latin influence, where did that, did that come from, a particular drummer? Did that come from, is that a Mitch Mitchell thing? In- I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I kinda, I've always kind of been a wannabe Mexican because growing up in L.A., just yeah. it was like, it was just, it was just, I don't know. I just, I always consider myself like an honorary fake Mexican. <laughs> There's something about Latin grooves, though, man. That pocket well, sticks, see, that clave. Lobo, 
<laughs> see, with Robo um, and Black Flag, you see, he he would do those sets of three hi-hats, and that he comes by that naturally because he's Colombian, and the the, the, na- the national music of Colombia is the is the cumbia. And that's sets of threes. And that's how the Black Flag stuff all is with Robo on it. So sets of threes on the hi-hat. Interesting. That's awesome. Next time you listen to it, listen for the sets of threes on the hi-hat. I don't mean the stuff I played on. I mean yeah. the, good stuff, the good stuff with Robo. Wow. Listen to like, <laughs> like listen to Jealous Again or Revenge or Police Story. You'll hear the little sets of three hi-hats. You guys just put out a side note. I'm definitely going to do that. And now it's going to stick out. It's going to be like hearing the, the cowbell in Blue Oyster Cult. Now all I'm going to hear is that. But um, you guys just put out a cool like group version of Jealous again for uh, Mike's Uke with you playing guitar. Um, and I guess my question is with that, when did guitar become... So when you got your first drum set, and I know you got that bass out of the garbage, right? Yeah, it all it all came together for me in just probably a three or four month period. Um, I first first I just had the snare drum, but then once my dad bought me that used drum set, then at right around that same time, my mom gave me this acoustic guitar that belonged to my grandpa, and then and then the neighbors had that hollow body bass in the trash <laughs> so so i i mean i i started playing bass and guitar i mean i in my life i've i've played uh in terms of practicing alone okay not so not band practice not yeah. band rehearsal and not touring and not sound check but just of how many hours I've spent alone playing an instrument, it's for sure way more guitar, way more, like ten times more guitar. Yeah. And then and then probably, probably the bass not not as much. The bass would maybe be half as much time as the drums. Okay, that makes sense. But I used to I used to I mean for years and years I played guitar several hours a day every day. Wow. It makes sense because it'd be easier to kind of practice than drums. And like, it seems, Yeah, I don't like to hear drums by themselves. I don't, it's just not, a, it's not nice for me. Yeah. And as like a songwriter, you can, I'd imagine hear hear more of where a song's going to come from, from like a chord progression. You can hear a melody more clearly than you could on a kit. I love it. I I'm, I'm surprised I've never gotten good at piano because i i do love a piano piano is the ultimate instrument i think yeah it's interesting because it's laid out in a different way like with guitar it's like you got these notes organized in fifths and fourths and then you got that third on the b string so it throws everything off and it's like this weird staggered like you're looking at these blocks but like on a piano it's all laid out and it's like you're looking over a hill and seeing all the streets or something like you can see the path for everything yeah, like all of the notes are more are more conveniently available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, and the, and the uh, and more voices because you can make voices with two hands. Like the the hand that the hand that chooses the note is also the hand that plays the note. Yeah. 
with the guitar, you know, your left hand chooses the note and your right hand pl- plays the note. But with with piano, it's, it's both hands. You can, you know, get huge chords. I mean, great, huge chords. And, I, yeah, you know, when I was in my 40s, or I fancied myself growing old with like a beautiful piano and a little bit of scotch <laughs> neat neat scotch sitting on top of it with some music sheets you know i, I yeah. fancied myself ending up like cole porter uh but not, it, it, it it hasn't happened yet not louis prima well <laughs> yeah louis prima but for me cole porter i'm i i'm infatuated with cole porter i i can't even imagine what it would have been like to write that many amazing songs yeah so when it's kind of tied into writing, when you guys do harmonies, do you plunk stuff out on the piano ever, or is it always guitar based or like in the studio, one note then hear another? Has so it, do you mean vocal harmonies or yeah, do you vocal mean harmonies relationships between bass and guitar? Her, uh, no, vocal harmonies because I think harmonic oh, relationships I, with bass and guitar you can kind of from playing as much as you do on both instruments, hear that and place that. But when it comes to like vocal harmonies, the descendants are really tight with the vocal harmonies on the record. And like, Oh, uh, we just, we just usually, I don't, I don't usually ever sit, sit with a keyboard. I mean, I could do that just as easily with the guitar. Gotcha. If it's like, okay, he's going to hit a C and I'm going to hit a, uh, E and the other guy's going to hit a G. Okay. Uh, here's what that's going to sound like. You know, yeah, that's, that a ma- yeah. that's a C major. Okay. But really, I mean, I don't even really do that with the guitar. I usually yeah. just, I, I get an idea in my head and I'll sing it for a harmony. And then if it works and I love it, great. And if it doesn't work, is it just, is it the whole part that doesn't work or is it is a certain note that's clashing, you know, so then maybe I'll adjust it a little. But usually, I, yeah, usually I don't like to be clinical about the harmony parts because I, I, I like them to, to hopefully to have a little bit of a life of their own to yeah. where they, even if you turned off the lead vocal, like the harmony part would still sound bitching. Yeah, that's tricky, especially with like um, more heavier music with a lot of different like like when you're playing bar chords or something when there's not like a, a tonality, right? There's no third or it's not major. It's not minor. It's just like a one in a five. So the harmony well, can be bar chords, bar chords have a third in them. You mean, you mean power chords, power which, chords, which um, don't have a third in them, but we, yeah. we, I mean, a good percentage of our music is with full chords. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we use ninths, we use minor sevenths, elevenths, oh, minors, majors, Major sevenths, of um, uh, add add fourth, you know, all, all all of that stuff. We all we use we have use all those chords in our music. Well, especially with like tunes like Enjoy. There's a, like that crunchy like sharp nine, I think. But I, I was uh, I was thinking maybe in the context of like working out of the blasting room and like working with. Because I was looking at your client list, and it's a lot of a lot of punk bands and a lot of like heavier bands that would have harmonies like that. I guess are accompaniment like that. That would be like that kind of like barish thing where it could go either way with vocal harmonies, which is cool because it can be expansive, but it's also confusing because you got to figure it out. 
Yeah, I mean, even if the guitar player happens to be playing power chords, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't ex- that doesn't prohibit for sure the chord the chord progression from implying a key or a scale. Yeah, no, I I, I, yeah. I get that. I was just I don't know. Maybe that's just me working on something, trying running into my own things. I'm like, he probably has run into that. <laughs> oh, huh. <laughs> Picking the brains yeah, of the I usually, masters. I usually just try two or three things. Yeah. I mean, we have the luxury. You now I could just sit here in my basement in my in my boxers and my slippers, <laughs> and just I could try twenty different parts on every line of every song. You know, if we're working on a new record, so it's really we really have a lot of luxury now. Yeah. Well, you guys built that um, from hitting the road. Well, we, well the, what I was talking about is my basement. Oh, but like I mean, quite yeah. Me. We also have the blasting room, which is the blasting rooms. You know, that's a huge studio. Yeah. We have four studio, four studios up there now. That's but awesome. I'm talking about like six feet from my bed. I have also <laughs> a little tiny studio, which is where descendants practice and stuff. Got it. Just sending tracks back and forth or digital practice or like everyone literally comes here and rehearses when we can. Oh, well, we, we have a couple different ways that we practice the, 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 um, the way Car- Carl still lives here in Fort Collins. Yeah. So he and I practice together, you know, and so that's bass and drums together. So that, that gives the solidity to the shows that's, because we're we live together. I mean, we're still joined at the hip. You know, when we're when we're touring, Carl comes over every morning and we play every morning. But we play we play a couple different ways. One way is we practice to a matrix that is a metronome and Stefan's guitar and Milo's vocal. So, but mm. the metronomes aren't stagnant because yeah. you know our our recordings aren't stagnant. So yeah. they're 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 tempo maps. But but the metronome cruises through all the songs, you know, so every tempo is exactly what it's supposed to be at that moment. But some songs have, you know, 10 different tempos. So we so we practice with that matrix. So it's me and Carl live and then the click and Stefan's guitar recorded and Milo's vocal recorded. So we play that way. But we also play we have our friend Grover. He comes over and he stunt doubles on guitar. So then that way there's we're not playing to any artificial stuff. It's just three dudes in a room. Yeah. And Grover's actually been been our stunt double at practice for ten years now. <laughs> Has he gigged? Has he filled in? He hasn't filled in uh but he's he's played like encore songs with us before. That's awesome. But got- he um you know what he did do is my uh, my other other band, Only Crime. Yeah. Um Grover played a couple only crime shows because one of our guitar players was, was having a baby and the baby came right when the shows were. So, so Grover played a couple only crime shows. Was he prepped for it? Is he, uh, is he the, the he, pulled it off. he pulled it off. We, we gave all the real hard guitar parts to the other guitar player, uh, Matt, Matt Hoffman. So no, it was fine. That's just problem solving like that. To some bands, it's such a it's stop. You know what I mean? Like, that's, okay, we can't do the gig. It's so inspiring that you guys just find a way, or you find a way with all your projects to navigate through and keep pushing and, like, do the thing. Um, there's been a couple all gigs 
where Milo was the sub. I was reading on... Um, oh, I think only once. Only once? Okay. So like... Yeah, I think Chad, Chad lost his voice and so Milo sung. So knowing that pre-show and all the people that came to that, was that like a mind fuck for the crowd? They're like, what? Or was that like you guys being hyped up, like they're going to be so stoked or being like, oh, fuck, I guess we got to do this. <laughs> uh, it, it didn't... I, I don't know that I, I don't think any of us thought about it like that. It's just, uh, Chad lost his voice and I just called Milo and he go, okay, can you come out here and sing tomorrow? And he's like, yeah. And I go, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. We just went up, we just went up and played. It's like, cause you know, we're, Milo's, you know, all of us are very close. So yeah. it's, it's not like dealing with people that haven't seen each other for years or that don't like each other that much or any of that stuff. It's just like, Hey, I need you. He's like, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> you know, that's cool. It's cool to like be working with people that are your friends first and foremost, you know, that actually care oh, about I wouldn't you. Be, I wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't like that. It's always been this. We started this band for fun and if it ever quits being that I'm going to quit. Beautiful. Um, kind of an, a couple early questions. One being about the Descendants is, I guess at one point you guys had a female singer, or were trying out a female singer, Cecilia or something. Uh, yeah, we we had a few people for like really short-lived little things. You know, like I mean, a matter of months. Yeah. With, and no no recordings or anything. Uh, yeah, Cecilia was one of them, yeah. And well, he just didn't pan out? Uh, I, 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 no. You know, <laughs> I don't even, I don't even really remember because some of those things were so short-lived. Yeah. That I honestly don't remember <laughs> what... How, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't remember much about it. Well, with as much as you, all these groups you play in, as much as you push, like, I, I can't imagine small details like that. Um, also, I kind of want uh, an early influence on you question. Um, Kiss, what would, was Kiss an influence? Me and my buddy in high school, this is when I was 14. Yeah. We won tickets on the radio to go to the filming of the Kiss movie called kiss meets the phantom of the park and it was at magic mountain which magic mountain is now um part of the six flags chain yeah so so it was out of six flags so <laughs> sick we went so we went to see kiss and we 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 sat there in the front row and they played they they, they played for hours and hours and then sometimes it would just be paul up there playing and they're shooting video and, or sometimes it would just be Paul and Peter Chris, and it was for hours and hours and hours. But yeah, I'm right there in the like right in the front in like kind of a goldenrod colored shirt, yellow orange. That's sick. Was seeing that process something that made what would be later your career like make sense and kind of accepting that if you're going to get the thing right, you got to do a million takes to get it, even though it's like a film thing, so it's a different. It's a different thing, but just the idea that seeing this over and over, it's not, oh, it's all not just one thing. It's. 
Oh, I, I've, I get, I've always kind of been a bit of OCD or perfectionist. I certainly yeah. didn't. I certainly didn't learn that from Kiss. <laughs> if, if anything, if anything, as far as learning how to how to implement that in a in a rock band context, how to implement perfectionism, implement you know really yeah. uh, you know diligence and that kind of thing, I pr- probably learned that more from the Black Flag guys. Gotcha. So that that ship they ran is like reading Get in the Van and hearing Rollins stories. Man, that's an intense environment to be in. But that that just was that just was the environment. Then you you weren't gonna get anything done if you weren't totally dead serious. Yeah, output with those guys is insane. The amount of albums that came out in the amount of time you were in that band, which is a lot, but compared to some other things, not as much. And like the amount of output from those years is insane. Yeah, but I like this. I liked all the early stuff. I yeah. liked, uh, yeah, I liked the Nervous Breakdown EP, the Jealous Again EP, Six Pack EP, and the Damaged album, and then the, and the, also the Everything Went Black album. I, that's what I like. It. I like it with Robo and Chuck and Robo and Chuck and Greg. That's my yeah. favorite. I mean, yeah. all those are, all of them are bangers. But I mean, the first one you did was Minute Flag, and that's a banger too, man. That's such well, a no, cool combo. No, the first one was My War. Oh, My War. <sighs> well, the first first one was a, a, a seven-inch single with two songs on it, I've Got to Run and My Rules. Oh, okay. Yeah. But then My War was not so long after that. And that was, that for a lot of people, for Black Flag, that was kind of a controversial record, side two, <laughs> being not as punk or whatever. And that Minute Flag, kind of going, because one of the early Descendants gigs was with the Minutemen before the Minutemen, right? Uh, what was their name? The something. The Reaction. Reaction, yeah. So you guys have kind of circled with Watt a lot. The scene was very small then, and, and we were, Minutemen, Descendants, and Black Flag all had one thing in common, which we were all in the South Bay. Black Flag and Descendants went to the same high school even. I mean, we were, wow. you know, Greg, I could throw a rock to Greg's parents' house from my <laughs> house. Um, like, but, but we all had another thing in common, which is that the Hollywood clubs really wouldn't let us play. We, and we certainly didn't look the part. We didn't have the right clothing to, you know, Yeah. but, but so we started doing our own shows and, you know, get, finding these weird ass buildings to, and we'd nail carpet up on the wall so we could, so we could practice without the cops coming. So there's, you know, there's a, there's a yeah, long history there of us all sharing practice rooms and putting gigs together, charge five bucks at the door, just have one of your buddies at the front with a bucket to put the cash in and, you know, and the stamp, but that makes the scene that makes it so pure that everyone's involved. Like it's different when you're just doing a thing, but when your friend can be involved too, now it's a bigger thing, and it's so much more like pure and potent that everyone can share and partake in it. I love the Minutemen. I saw Mike. I saw Mike play about a year and a half ago here in Fort Collins. He was so good. He was just 
Oh, man, he was just tearing that bass up. I think it's the best I've ever seen him play. Which one was it with uh, the um, uh, the second man tour or the missing man? I can't. I think the last one he did was uh, they were doing all these Minutemen tunes. At least when I saw him at the Grog Shop. Uh, I don't. I can't remember the name. It was like the, I don't know. I I don't keep track of like what he calls the band yeah. at the time. I just I just know that if he's gonna be in town, I you know I usually try to go see him. That's awesome. He's a very dear friend. Very deep thinker too, man. I talked to Watt for like four hours, and like everything he said was just like another mind, like pff, rearranger. <laughs> like yeah, he my, Mike has a real real special kind of brain. I, just the way he sees things and the way he looks at even just looking at words and rearranges it and like kind of the shift gears. I uh, wanted to ask. Has there been any commandments added throughout the years? Uh, oh boy. I mean, not, not added officially, but, but, uh, I mean, you know, the band's been together 41 years, like a lot, you know, that's, that's, uh, a thousand percent longer than most yeah. Bands, I guess, right? Yeah. Something I don't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> awesome. I mean, that idea though of going for all and like having like a a philosophy that's so simple, but is yet so like I don't know. Finding the simple thing that everyone can latch to is almost the hardest thing. It's almost like coming out with the simple song and the melody that's not too complex that everyone can hear. And have an idea like this, and so many people can catch on to it. Like the idea of going for all is such a simple thing, but it it's huge. And that came from fishing, right? Yeah, well, my same my same uh, partners I was referring to that I would commercial fish with in, at night. Uh, it's that something. Pat just said it one day. We were we were brailing mackerel with a braille net. Yeah. And my boat could hold about just about one ton of fish, you know, safely. Uh, otherwise, it literally would just sink. It would the boat would just go underwater. Um. And, you know, we were getting right to that point and, and Pat was all on the amphetamines, on the black beauties. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm like, Pat, we better call it. The, we're literally g- filling the boat up. We're literally going to sink the boat. And he, he had the braille in his hand because I was chumming and he was brailing. It's a little system. You, you plop the chum down, the mackerel swim into it, and then the other guy takes a swipe with the braille and puts the fish in the boat and it's like a rhythm and i'm like yeah. we got to stop and he's just going no all all and i don't he didn't know what he was even saying because he was out of his mind yeah but he just kept saying no all all and so <laughs> it just kind of stuck a couple more questions and then i'll let you go man i really appreciate your time one being with the blasting room did you work with gogo bardello or was that someone else in the studio gogo um I don't, 
I think they came one day, but I didn't work on it. Oh, okay. Because those guys are uh, fucking amazing. But Carl, you know, Carl he played, played with bass him. with them for a long time. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. but I wasn't there when they came to the studio. Probably Jason and Andrew worked on that. Okay. The Dead Boys, have you guys ever done anything with them? No, we haven't. I used to like to listen to them when I was first getting into punk rock. They were They were one of the things that impressed me the most now with a with going to like a group like flag kind of jumping into like going back to your teenage self how's that been oh playing shows with flag yeah oh it's it's so much fun i mean those are those are my best friends in the whole world um daz and chuck and keith and uh, Stefan and um, that, that's those are those are my my best friends. I mean, Keith's my longest friend of my life. <laughs> I've known Keith since I was eight. Damn, because yeah, you worked for his dad. Um, yeah, Hermosa Hermosa, Hermosa Tackle yes. Box. But but the, but even before I worked there, when I was just a little kid coming in to buy bait and tackle, and Keith. Keith was working there because Keith was in high school. Keith was working in the tackle store. So I met him when I was a little kid, fisherman. That has to be so cool then to cycle back and like be able to like go play the music again. So I saw you guys at the at the Grog a few years ago at the Grog Shop in Cleveland. Yeah, that was fun. That was a really fun show. Yeah, that was sick. And then I think I saw you guys at Riot Fest too. I think there was one year where you played like three sets at Riot Fest. You played a flag and all and a descendant set in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. With Riot, I did. I did a, a one year. I did a flag and descendants and all, and one year I did a only crime and descendants and all. <laughs> That's when you're not overly whelmed or overpacked with things. Do you get a little antsy? Like when you when you look at the sketch and it's not like stressful. There's like a no, thing. I don't. no. No, no, I don't. I don't. I mean, when I was younger, I definitely was like a workaholic. Yeah, I like to. I like to sort of keep myself busy. I don't. I don't really have that thing anymore. That keep myself busy thing. Gotcha. I, I like to do things with purpose, and I yeah. mean, I, I, I value things other than. I value things other than just the band too. Now, you know, I have two yeah. kids. And like the, so during COVID, I did a, did a little bit of backpacking with my son, um, cool. and I've been playing a little music with my son in the in the basement. Like so, yeah. And I don't like to just have the work just take consume my entire life. That that doesn't. That doesn't feel right to me the way it did when I was 20 or 30 or even even 40. Yeah. Well, it's like the not working to live or not living to work, but working to live type deal. Um, now, your son's got a band. He he has he has a, a band. That he's been working with guys, but it seems like right when they were kind of getting started then covid hit so they mm. they've been kind of limited but they're just learning you know miles is just learning the guitar but um he played he played guitar on that christmas video that's miles playing the guitar gotcha okay that's awesome did you see that christmas video yeah 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 
yeah so that's miles playing the guitar on that and that's and that's my whole family singing <laughs> that's awesome it rotates it's like the boy part is just me and miles and then the girl part is stacy and maddie Oh, dude, that's what's well, so cool. Like you can share this with them and help them along if they want to do that. Have they have? I think Miles has a decent right hand. If I feel like if you listen to that, it sounds it sounds more like the Ramones than the Ramones did by that time because they, you know, they got so shitty. Yeah, they got so crappy, and then and so I don't know. I I like to hear a nice groove like that. A good a good a good smooth right hand is a good thing. That's awesome. That's so cool that you can share it with them and do this thing. And like now that there's time for it, despite the whole COVID thing, putting everything ramming in into the wall and not being able to do anything, it led to all these cool little outlets. Yeah, it's been great. Miles and I, we've recorded several things together, either things he wrote or yeah. things that he and I kind of worked on together or, or I've helped him record things that he was collaborating with somebody else. So I'm teaching him a little bit of Pro Tools, too. He knows how to use a little bit of, you know, Pro Tools is the audio software that kind of what everybody uses. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's Pro Tools is kind of tricky. Pro Tools and Ableton, there's there's some learning curves with that stuff. I don't know Ableton. Ableton's weird, man. There's a lot to do. There's a lot you can do. A lot of people do a lot of looping stuff with it. I don't, I, I can't wrap my head around it quite. Everybody who's all Ableton. Oh, cool. Well, Bill, thank you so much for taking some time out to chat with me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, man, this has been awesome. Um, there was something with uh, the guy from The Simpsons reviewed one of your records. Oh, yeah, he reviewed. He used to be a a, a journalist, you know, bef- kind of before the TV thing and all that. Yeah. Uh, and he reviewed Milo Goes to College, yeah. Okay, because I kept looking. I always that. sort of wondered whether whether Bart may have been a little bit kind of influenced by Milo, but I'm not sure. God, because of the spiky. Okay, all right. Because yeah, I, I heard that somewhere or read that somewhere, and I was like trying to find that article, and I couldn't find yeah, it. Yeah, I never, I never asked him. We never kept up with him. Gotcha, gotcha. E- either way, it's cool. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. All yeah. right, man. All right, thank you, Bill. Appreciate you. Okay. See ya. See ya. <laughs>